two men had an argument, and to settle the matter, they decided to go seek a judge for arbitration. The, the plaintiff made his case first, and he was very eloquent and persuasive, and so when he finished, the judge looked at him, nodded in approval, and said, that's right, that's right. Now, upon hearing this, the defendant was quite discouraged, and he jumped up, and he said, hey, judge, you haven't even heard my side of the story yet. And so the judge said, very well, defendant, make your case, and he likewise spoke very eloquently and was very persuasive, and so the judge nods his head and says, well, that's right, that's right. Now, the clerk of the court, hearing this, jumps up and says, Judge, they, they can't both be right. To which the judge responded, that's right. That's right. We, we can't all be right. And yet, if we're honest, we, we all want to be right. We speak of coexisting with all other faiths and all other beliefs and even put, sometimes put it on bumper stickers on the, the backs of our cars. But at the end of the day, conflicting truths can't all be true. I mean, there, there can't be one God, as Christians say, millions of gods, as Hinduism says, and no personal God at all, as most Buddhists would say. I mean, one could reason based on this that um, there, are, there is no such thing as absolute truth. But the problem with saying that there's no such thing as absolute truth is by saying that you have made an absolute truth statement, thus conflicting with the prior statement before it. Here's the deal. The truth is out there. The question is, how do you respond to truth when you encounter it? Whether you're making big life decisions or even small ones, do you seek truth? Do you avoid truth? Or do you try to manipulate truth to fit your plans and purposes? The unsung hero that we're focusing on tonight is a guy named Micaiah. He shows up in 1 Kings 22. I encourage you to turn your Bibles over there. Now, in this passage, we're exposed to, to four common responses to an encounter with truth. Tonight's unsung hero, Micaiah, shows us over and over again that it's better to be on the side of truth than to try to get the truth on your side. Again, I'm in 1 Kings 22, and it's an interesting passage that we're, we're looking at tonight because it's an interesting time in the history of Israel. You see, this is a time where Israel is divided into two separate lands. There is the land of Israel in the north and the land of Judah in the south, and each land has a separate king reigning over it. In the south, reigning over Judah, you have a king named King Jehoshaphat, a guy who's kind of new to the job and who, for the most part, sought to honor the Lord. Reigning in Israel, was a man named Ahab. Now, if you've ever read Herman Melville's famous Moby Dick, this is who that crazed captain Ahab was named after. And if you, if you read 1 Kings, you, you kind of see why that is. You see, both men worshipped false gods. They lived in houses made of ivory and became obsess obsessive with an inability to compromise. For Captain Ahab... His obsession was obviously the whale, Moby Dick. For King Ahab, it ended up being Ramot Gilead, 
a small city on the border of Israel and Syria that was lost in a battle. King Ahab was undone by it. (laughs) He felt robbed as a king by his inability to rule over the city. And so he decides to call for a royal summit in the city, in the area known as Samaria. He calls uh, Jehoshaphat over to express to him his displeasure. Now, as I said, Jehoshaphat, kind of being new to this whole king business, extends an offer to go to battle with him, offering his soldiers, his horses, his resources. I mean, what's mine is yours. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But uh, he's got a a small caveat. Look with me at verse 5, if you would. Verse 5 of 1 Kings 22. This is Jehoshaphat's caveat. He said to the king of Israel, before we do all this, inquire for the word of the Lord. Note that it's going to be important in just a second. Jehoshaphat asked that before they go to battle, that they hear, look at your Bible, from the capital L-O-R-D. That's something our English Bibles do when the personal name of God, Yahweh, is used. Jehoshaphat wants to know what the one true God, Yahweh, has to say about them going into battle. Now, you got to know, before we go any further, King Ahab and Yahweh, the God of Israel, are not exactly on the best of terms at this point in Israel's history. If if you've got a Bible and you can look at the chapter right before in verse 25, you can write it down or look there quick. You, You see that the Bible says that Ahab and his wife Jezebel were said to have done more evil in the sight of the Lord than anyone before them. They set up Asherah poles and temples for for false gods all over the land. These are evil people who supported evil practices. The relationship is, in fact, so bad that the prophet Elijah's last word delivered to King Ahab is that the Lord is going to discipline him with the dogs of the city licking up his blood and eating his wife. That's the last thing he's heard from Yahweh, not the best note to leave a conversation on. And so when Ahab hears Jehoshaphat's request, you got to imagine he's not very excited about bringing forward a prophet of Yahweh. And so he improvises and seeks to make up in quantity what he lacks in quality. Our text says that he brings 400 national prophets from his administration to the courtroom and asks them, what do you think? Should we go take Ramat Gilead? And in verse 16, it says that they respond in unison, singing, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But notice the word they choose. Lord. It's a fine word, but it's not the word. It could mean master. It could mean God. But when it's lowercase, it doesn't mean we're necessarily talking about Yahweh. Now, Jehoshaphat doesn't miss this. You see, Jehoshaphat isn't ignorant of the prosperity message being preached here. He's analyzed and read the book, Your Best Kingdom Now. He knows the emptiness of naming it, claiming it, and declaring it when God is not truly on your side. And so as the 400 prophet choir sings of Ahab's greatness, his having found favor, 
and their certainty of his victory, he can't help but ask Ahab, ah, look at verse 7, is there, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we, we may inquire? Now you think maybe Ahab would get angry here. I mean, Jehoshaphat, if you can't trust 400 prophets, what, what makes you think you can trust 401? But, but Ahab hears him. Jehoshaphat didn't just ask for a prophet. He asked for a prophet of the capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. And Ahab confesses. He knows a guy. He tells Jehoshaphat in verse 8, there's one guy I know. His name is Micaiah but I don't really invite him to speak at state functions. He's all doom and gloom. I mean, to be honest, I, I hate him. The guy's got nothing nice to say about me. <laughs> Nevertheless, Ahab was convinced to, to send for Micaiah. And in the meantime, the two kings sat on their throne for a pep rally led by the prophet Zedekiah. Now, Zed wants to make a show of what's about to happen, so he, he grabs some horns and transforms himself into the king's mascot, assuring both kings of their victory. He's a, he's a master cheerleader, this Zed, and all the other prophets can't help but, but join in. They, they just got to go, we will, we will rock you. That's a slight paraphrase of verse 12, but only slight. It's pretty close. Now, with all this going on in the, the background, one of Ahab's messengers is sent to talk to Micaiah. You can look at verse 13 with me, and notice, notice what Ahab's messenger to Micaiah doesn't say. His message is not, Micaiah, prophet of the Lord, please come reveal to us God's will regarding this decision to go to battle. No. The message the messenger brings is, listen up. We've got 400 prophets that agree with the king. Just go with it. Say the king will succeed. Everybody's doing it. Don't make a stink. Don't make trouble. Just go with it. But Micaiah was never one to give in to peer pressure. Instead, he responds with what should be every child's favorite Awana verse. And perhaps, maybe even you should consider memorizing it tonight. He says in verse 14, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. You see, that's why Micaiah is a hero. There's no compromise. He's true to Yahweh in a time when everyone else is only concerned with being true to themselves and what's best for them. And so when Micaiah gets into the courtroom before the king, it seems the pep rally is still going on, but Ahab draws it to a close, and he asks Micaiah, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead in battle, or shall we refrain? Now, I'll be honest, this may be one of the reasons I love Micaiah, and he's one of my favorite unsung heroes. It seems Micaiah had a sense of humor. <laughs> Looking around at the pep rally that surrounds him, he, it seems he, he joins into the chant in verse 15. Go up and triumph, the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. You see, he's, he's mimicking the prophet's chant of verse 12. 
word for word. The way he does it, he's, it's clearly loaded with sarcasm, so much so that the king, King Ahab, responds in verse 16, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? Micaiah responds, oh, it's the truth you wanted. I'm sorry, mixed messages. I had heard before that you just wanted to hear the same old thing, but okay, here's the truth. Look at verse 17. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Micaiah is quoting Numbers 27, and by doing so is basically telling the king that, listen, if you go up to battle, you're going to die, leaving the people of Israel without a shepherd. Now Ahab hears this and, and gets angry, turning to his fellow king. You see, this is exactly what I expected. I told you before, he's got nothing nice to say. But Micaiah pipes up. He said, hold on, wait, 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 wait. there's more. You see, there was this large gathering that recently took place in heaven. He tells them in verse 19. Yahweh got a bunch of spirits together for a conference about you, King Ahab. He told them about how he needed to discipline you and was curious if any of the spirits had any good ideas. Now, this was a pretty good brainstorming session. But then one spirit raised their hand and gave the idea that God just thought was golden. The spirit said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And Yahweh said, yep, that's the one. That's how I'm going to discipline him. Now, Zedekiah, Ahab's pep rally mascot, who was just told that he was indwelt by a lying spirit, <laughs> was not particularly flattered and overjoyed by this message. And so with all the maturity he could muster, he confronts Micaiah with a whack on the cheek. Micaiah speaks truth to Zedekiah. And in fact, he even warns him of the day to come. But what we see in this text is that there is no change in, in Zedekiah's heart. I said that there were four reactions to an encounter with truth that we're going to examine today. And this is the first one. Numbness. Zedekiah was numb. He, he truly believed himself to be a prophet. For this reason, he slapped Micaiah on the cheek. He didn't get it. You see, he was not only the numbing agent, he himself had become numb. Friends, Zedekiah should truly give us compassion for prosperity gospel preachers. Yeah, he was preaching a, a false gospel, which was awful, but worse for him was that he was actually believing it. Sitting here tonight, you may be numbing others to the truth, but you may also be being numbed by others. You got to recognize Zedekiah was surrounded by other prophets who were, who were preaching this false message. Who do you have that surrounds you? Are you, are you honestly seeking wisdom, seeking to, to know God's word and his rebuke? Or do you just typically seek a pep rally. I realized by, by saying what I'm about to say, it might cause some of you some discomfort. 
But Zedekiah and I actually have something in common. You see, I too was once a false prophet. And unfortunately, there is photographic evidence of those days in my past. You see, Zedekiah had his bullhorns for Ahab's bulls, but I was the Comac Cougar. When there was a football game, I'd get on the field and demonstrate for all the fans how we were going to rip the Levittown Dragons to shreds. That was Ed Stetzer's high school, by the way. Now, I'll tell you, I, I don't know much about sports. Uh, I was and truly am just a theater kid who likes getting dressed up and making a fool of myself. But I do understand basic numbers. And even then, I knew that the Levittown Dragons, 10 out of 10 t wins, was more than our zero out of 10 wins. I fully, fully understood we had a very, very bad team. But when everyone's cheering, you go numb to it. When you're offered rewards for being a good mascot in return, you can numb yourself to the truth. Here's the lesson from Zedekiah's encounter with truth. Be careful of what you read and what you listen to. Be wary of those who say you can do no wrong. Don't allow yourself to be numbed to God's word and God's ways by those who go against them. To put it another way, don't, don't let yourself be desensitized to the truth by the shows you watch, by the movies you go to, by the jokes you tell, or the people you surround yourself with. You, think, you see, it's one thing to be in the world, but another thing to be of the world. Friends, guard your hearts. Maybe you're numb today. The Apostle Paul regularly says that the truth of the gospel numbs a lot of people. It's foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. Do you, do you find yourself numb to certain parts of the Bible? Certain ethics that Christ sets forth? Begin searching for that numbing agent. I was recently reading an article by the New York pastor, Tim Keller, who said that he regularly had students come back from college on breaks and tell him that they now, tell him that they now doubted everything about Christianity. As this happened more frequently, he began responding to their doubts by asking a question. He'd ask, who are you sleeping with? He said it was remarkable Almost every time the student responded, how did you know? They numb themselves to the truth. Are you numbing yourself to the truth? Zedekiah shows us in verse 24 that, that he believed he was speaking the words of Yahweh. He thought that he could be loyal to the king and then get the truth on his side simply by attaching the Lord's name to it. Friends, don't allow yourself to be to be numbed to the truth by a pep rally. Don't allow yourselves to be numbed and desensitized by your media intake or your unrepentant patterns of sin. Don't labor to get the truth on your side when we've been called to stand on truth's side. Zedekiah is our first reaction in its numbness. But our second reaction to truth comes from Ahab. Ahab hated the truth. For this reason, he said he hated Micaiah uh, before he even heard what he had to say. 
And he continues to, to hate Micaiah even now in our story. You see, Micaiah was the personification of truth in Ahab's life. Ahab didn't care about Zedekiah or, or any prophecy at all. He brought in the 400 prophets for Jehoshaphat. But, but now in his frustration, we see in verse 26 that he throws Micaiah into prison and commands the guards to give him only small amounts of bread and water until he, that is Ahab, comes back in peace. At this point, you'd think, Micaiah's spoken enough. You got to know the, t- the difference between the times to speak up and when to shut up. Micaiah, this is the time to, to shut up. But nevertheless, he calls out in verse 28 and just clarifies. He says, hey, king, if you return in peace, like you said, you'll give me bread when you return. The Lord, Yahweh, has not spoken by me. Hear this, everybody. Now, I don't know if Ahab was superstitious or something, but he seems to have had a little bit of fear from Micaiah's prophecy. And so he decides to be a little creative and disguise himself, telling Jehoshaphat when they go to battle to to wear his royal robes, but that he would dress just like a regular soldier. Turns out there was some wisdom in doing this because the king of Syria actually said he had no interest in fighting with anybody else except Ahab. He tells his army men, he says, do not fight with anyone great or small, but only the king of Israel. Israel, the Syrian army going to battle then, sees the, royal tra- uh, sees the royal chariot and makes a beeline directly toward it. They surround the chariot, ready to kill Ahab, but then they hear the scream, it says, of King Jehoshaphat and realized Ahab wasn't there. Now, I'm not sure what that means exactly. If maybe Jehoshaphat had an embarrassingly high-pitched girly scream, but he screamed in such a way that they knew it wasn't Ahab. So the battle doesn't really happen. Nevertheless, in verse 34, look there with me. It says, a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. You can't miss that. A certain man meaning this, this isn't even anyone of importance. Some scholars have noted that we're not even really sure if this was a Syrian soldier or an Israelite soldier. It's just a certain man who drew his bow at random. I mean, even the word at random, some of you have a footnote in your Bible, you look at the bottom and see the footnote, it actually could be better translated in his innocence, meaning this is likely just some goof who got bored and shot his arrow in the air. It was innocent. It wasn't for war. And he killed the king. You see, Micaiah never said how Ahab would be killed, only that he would be. And Ahab hated this truth. This is Ahab's response to his encounter. He thought he could beat the truth. He thought his royalty and power were stronger than the truth. Micaiah says, they'll kill the king, but if I'm dressed up as a regular soldier, they'll never get me. But if only Ahab would have heard the truth and listened, if only he would have obeyed, if only he would have given his life and recalibrated his life according to that truth, he would have known life. But he hated it. He hated the restrictions of the truth. He saw truth as limiting. 
It limited him from Ramoth Gilead. And so the truth that could have saved him ended up destroying him. Maybe you work with people who, or are related to people who hate the truth in this way. They switch the conversation once you bring up Jesus. They don't mind some self-help and motivational speaking now and then, but, but don't tell me what to do or what to believe. I know most of you are here because you, you want to know what the Bible has to say, but I still have to ask. Do you, do you hate the truth? Do you avoid reading those books of the Bible that'll convict you of sin or hearing those preachers that will be telling you that you're doing something wrong? You look and check online what the topic for the sermon's going to be this week. And if it's about your money or your sexuality, you opt out. If that's you, you might hate the truth. Ahab hated the truth. So did many who, who heard Jesus. For this reason, Jesus told them, the truth will set you free. Now, when Jesus says this in John 8, the people don't seem to understand. They just keep asking, free from what? Free from what? How is the truth going to set me free? They didn't see that living in sin, living in opposition to God's truth, was a form of bondage, that they were slaves to their evil deeds. This is Ahab. He thinks he's free from the truth, but in actuality, by being free from the truth, he becomes a slave to sin. Hear me, people. God created humanity to flourish in the air of truth, but too often we choose to drown in a sea of unholy desires and falsehoods. I've heard many stories, and maybe you have too, of, of kids who, who want to show their pet fish the rest of the house, thinking that surely the fish is sick of water by now, and so they scoop him up and show him the living room and the bathroom and, and everything else. But as those children soon learn, Fish are more free in their restrictions of the water tank than they are in the vastness of the air. One of my favorite scenes in the, the movie Finding Nemo comes at the end when a, a group of fish who are trying desperately to escape their fish tank in a dentist's office finally are able to get out of the tank via plastic bags and jump out of the window, only then to realize that they were more free in their small tank than they are now in their plastic bags in the vast ocean. The fish turn to each other and ask, now what? You see, options don't always mean freedom. Sometimes the greatest freedom we can have is functioning in the restriction of God's law and God's truth, hearing the truth and seeking to live within it. But the the fish from the dentist's tank hated their restrictions. And so did Ahab. Pixar doesn't exactly tell us the, the end of the fish's story, but Ahab's end is made known to us. Ahab tries to beat the truth, to fight the truth. When it comes down to it, he doesn't even really go to battle with the king of Syria. That war never even happens. Instead, he goes, battle, goes to battle with the truth that Micaiah has spoken, the truth that he hates, and what he finds is that when you're in a battle with truth, truth always wins. Ahab wanted truth to bow to him, but instead, he ended up lying dead before it. His royal counterpart, however, takes a different approach. Jehoshaphat was fascinated by the truth. He wanted to know what Yahweh had to say about going to battle. 
He wasn't satisfied with what the other prophets had to say. And so he called for the prophet of Yahweh that he might hear from him. We look at Jehoshaphat and we, we see a role model, right? We, we want to see a role model. We want to see a, a standard for a king or a leader. Someone who's not satisfied with the information before him, but goes searching for truth. The problem is, Jehoshaphat ends up being like the man that Winston Churchill, the former prime minister of Britain, describes when he says, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. You see... Jehoshaphat is fascinated by the truth. He wants to know what God has to say, what the, what the truth has to say. But at the end of the day, he's going to go with his gut. He hears Micaiah. But 1 Kings 22, verse 29, shows us that Jehoshaphat chooses to go into battle with Ahab anyway. In the end, Jehoshaphat is satisfied with what we might call truthiness. Maybe you've heard that term. It was a term that was coined by a late night host a couple of years back. Truthiness, the definition, is the belief or feeling that something is true, even and especially when it's not. Jehoshaphat uh, trusts his gut even after he's been exposed to the truth. And so he goes to war feeling that that's what would be best for the time and the situation. It's the, the least of the two evils. We'll, we'll go that way. Here's my question. Are you satisfied with truthiness? Does it only matter if it feels true? We're living in a world right now where it seems people don't really even care about the truth. I regularly see people posting articles on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and forwarding stories and emails that could be easily exposed as absolutely false with a simple Google search or a look at Snopes or factcheck.org. Unfortunately, though, I know there are many people who do these searches, find their articles to be proven false, but choose to believe it anyway. This is exactly what Jehoshaphat does. But it's exactly what Christians must not do. Truthiness is the enemy of truth. And as God's people, we must prize truth above all else, even if it goes against what we most deeply desire. It might be an article about a politician you can't stand. It might be an expose on an immoral organization. But if it's not true and you post it or propagate it, then as a representative of Jesus, you represent him as just another truthiness and not the truth. It's what James says when he says, listen, there are some who are hearers of the word, but, but not doers. Are you people of truth? You see, fascination of the truth often serves as a counterfeit to actual allegiance of the truth. It's not enough to, to want to know about it. It matters a lot more what you do with what you know. It's one thing to be fascinated by the truth and another to swear allegiance to it. It's one thing to want the truth on your side and another to want to be on the truth's side. You see... That was the response of Micaiah. He was on the truth's side. He was 
allied to Yahweh's truth. Thus he says, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Micaiah is faithful to the truth, even when his entire world is telling him that the truth will not be faithful to him. You see, life doesn't end well for Micaiah. His story doesn't end with blessing and influence. He doesn't get rewarded for for being faithful like Esther or Job or Ruth. The last we're told of Micaiah is that he's being fed the bare minimum in prison until the king comes back, which we later learn he isn't. To our knowledge, it's likely that he withers away and dies in that jail cell. But regardless of the consequences, Micaiah seems to believe that it's worth being on truth's side. You see, Micaiah loses his rights and his privileges as a citizen. He could have just voted for Ahab's war with the rest of the prophets, and when Ahab died, continued to preach the truth. That's what the messenger who Ahab sends tells Micaiah. Play the long game. If you can't beat him, join him. Go against God's way this one time, and it'll pay off in the end. I'm sure Micaiah wasn't ignorant of what could happen to him. Nevertheless, he doesn't compromise. He stands where truth is, even if the truth will get him killed. So why do that? Why why live for the truth? Why stand on your Christian morals when it only makes you a pariah or comes with even worse consequences? Why not lie to protect the boss? Why not compromise on my sexuality to fit in? Why not do just what makes me happy and trust my gut? Why follow the moral standards of an ancient book? I think the answer is found in our hero's statement in verse 14. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. You see, Micaiah recognizes he serves a living God. He's ancient, yes, but he's living. Micaiah's aim is not self-realization. That's not his life goal or enlightenment. Rather, he's living for the living hope. His hope is not set on his next meal or his next month's rent. His hope is set on the day that he will stand before the judge of the universe and answer for where he stood on earth. You see, in many ways, our hero Micaiah is the personification of truth. And what Ahab should have hoped in when confronted with God's word. But but even as Micaiah embodies truth in his time, moreover, he points to the one who embodies truth for all time. Jesus. Friends, what are you living for? Is it your health, your family, your school, your grades, your work, your good deeds? What are you willing to compromise for? Because if it's any of those things, they can be taken away and all your hope is gone. Those things pass. Health deteriorates, tests stop coming, Jobs end, people move on. But the Bible says of Jesus, the living God, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Ahab rejected Micaiah, and it ended poorly for him. 
But our confrontation today is not with Micaiah. It's with the one who he stood with. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where do you stand tonight in regard to the truth? You see, this is the most important question you can wrestle with in life. Are you numb to him? Do you hate him? Are you fascinated by him? Or will you stand with him and follow? See, this is the question Dietrich Bonhoeffer was forced to wrestle with. He was a pastor and seminary professor in Nazi Germany during Adolf Hitler's reign. It was a time when Germany was desperate. They were in an economic depression, and Hitler's vision of a revived Germany was more enticing than the truth was fascinating. Hitler hated the truth. The vast majority of the German people numbed themselves to the truth. Many pastors and spiritual leaders, though fascinated by the truth, chose to bow to desire and the offer of power. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer counted the cost and stood with truth. He spoke publicly against Hitler, even on German radio. He followed and, and taught the truth in an underground seminary, knowing he could be charged for treason. And for radically fighting for the truth, he was imprisoned and sentenced to be hung. Still, as he waited for his execution, he didn't lose sight of where his hope was. Fellow prisoners reported his last words as these. This is for me the end, the beginning of life. You see, Bonhoeffer knew that it wasn't life on earth that he was living for, but it was life with Jesus, the truth. That was worth living for, and death was the mere door to entering into that everlasting life with that everlasting truth. Micaiah shared the same hope and truth and died for that same person of truth. Where have you placed your hope? How will you respond to an encounter with truth? As the music team leads us in a, in a final song, there's going to be prayer partners to my left who are available to, to talk with you about an encounter with truth. Maybe you're facing a, a big life decision. Maybe it's a seemingly small decision, but you haven't yet sought truth on it. Maybe today is the day when you're ready to respond to the truth of Jesus Christ, to who he is, and your need to bow before him. I encourage you tonight, come pray with them. No matter where you are in your walk, know it's better to stand with truth than to try to get truth to stand on your side. Would you pray with me? God of truth, Jesus Christ, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Guard us from being numbed by this world. Put in us a love of your word that we might not hate your ways. Keep us from simply being fascinated by Jesus and cause us to bend our knee and bow our hearts 
in allegiance to you and you alone. You, Jesus, are the only source of truth for all time and forever. Amen.